Welcome to the Stargate Archives, buried deep within Cheyenne Mountain. Good evening everybody and welcome to this new episode from the Stargate Archives. As we've been doing recently, I've been having a variety of guests on the show who get to pick an episode of Stargate and we chat about it. We have a returning host, someone if you were a big listener of the Gatecast, you will be very familiar with. Good evening, Brad. Hello, Mike. How are you? I'm not too bad. Yourself? I think this is one of the the first episodes where I haven't been up at Sparrow <laughs> first thing in the morning, 4am. <laughs> New laptops are mobile. Now I can record any time we need. Amazing, isn't it? Technology. Yep. And time zones. Yep. <laughs> can drive us together or drive us further apart. Quite right. I've been fortunate. I've been recording a lot with people in the UK. Although I have recorded with Thomas and a new guest on the show, Evie. They're both from the States. Hmm. Nice. Great when it works out like that. You got the band back together. Mm, not quite, but... Not quite. We add everybody together. You know, it kind of works out. I've still got to get a few hmm. people. Steve got to come on. And a few from America that I've been talking I haven't made a big push of it, though. I didn't make a really public announcement. I just kept it within the podcast. So if you're not listening to the podcast, you haven't heard my request for guests. <laughs> but I didn't want too many people coming on at the same time. Otherwise, I'd be totally deluged. Four-hour records. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so <laughs> we weren't going to do three episodes. We might have been doing two episodes tonight, but no, we're going to do one episode tonight. And what episode have you chosen? The Daedalus Variations from Stargate Atlantis Season 5, 11th of February 2010, directed by Andy Makita. Yep, written by Alan McCullough. Pretty good episode. It had so much potential. There's a couple of silly things in it that could have been changed to make it an even better episode, but we'll definitely get to a lot more of that when we get into the episode itself. Right, we'll jump straight in. The Daedalus Variations. We open up with a quick view of the city floating in its huge ocean. Remember, this is... Not the original planet of the ancient city of, of Atlantis. Lantia was called, wasn't it? The original. Something like that, yeah. That, that might be what they called it themselves. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> they made it on a matter. You know, be interesting if you actually visited the planet and it had it in big block capitals, the name of it, on a mountain range or something. <laughs> <laughs> Make identifying it easier. Mm. We get this whole introduction, the bookend of this episode of Rodney not liking that Taylor won't let him hold her baby. Because he dropped him. Yeah, only a couple of feet. Yeah, he didn't drop. He wiggled, wiggled out of his arms. <laughs> I know. And you go to show though the relationship between John and Rodney is is pretty strong. Hmm. You know they got that chemistry. They've got they can still banter. It took a while. John, even though he wasn't out and out military, although I'd say even O'Neill wasn't out and out military. He had that kind of sarcastic streak in him. Hmm. It just seems to work with these pair. Yeah, and you sort of look at over the time, and also the Pegasus Project was going to be on here as well, and in that where he just straight up gives Mitchell a lemon and says if he if he doesn't, if he use this, which yeah. is more, it's sort of a little bit more grim, but here they can have the fight. Rodney can say that he only fell about two feet and he, that Rodney himself was dropped half a dozen times when he was a kid and <laughs> turned out fine, and John can come back, that, that, that explains a lot. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Two years ago, Rodney would have double-taked at it Arks, what do you mean? <laughs> or something like that, where <laughs> now it's just brushed off. Well, that's one thing, you know, Rodney has developed a thicker skin. 
I think it's through association with people all the time. He was he was a bit of a loner. Having Ronan on the scene probably helped that as well. Yeah, definitely. Chuck announces that there's a, a ship in orbit. Everybody seems a bit surprised because normally the the sensor system of Atlantis detect any ship coming in through hyperspace long before it arrives in system. Mm. Yeah, well, that's one thing I noticed. It, normally they'll detect rape ships in hyperspace a day away or two days away where here it just pops out of nowhere. Well, he checks the IFF and realises it's a Daedalus. It's, um, it's supposed to be heading on its way back to Earth and they can't get any contact and Rodney sees there's no life signs on board, which is the start of that little eerie mystery that we've got yep. here. Perfect opening teaser for the episode as it goes mm. into the intro. We return. The Puddle Jumper's making its way at this point, what is the Daedalus. They do get confirmation that it should be in the Milky Way. Yep, it's on course and on schedule Yep, to return to Earth. Something bizarre is going on. Mm. They notice when they get closer there are scorch marks. Doesn't seem to be any overt damage to the ship. It just seems like someone's been letting off firecrackers or something next to it. Yeah, it might, it might be just the low resolution I was looking at on my screen, but it seemed like there was panels missing, but that might be just the design of the ship as well, where you can see sort of some exposed stuff on the bottom of the... Like them long thruster pods and that, but well, that's a good point because I didn't get, grab the Blu-ray. I I watched this off <laughs> an SD version on server. Yep, and I watched the version you gave me five when, years ago. When we can say when with that. <laughs> <laughs> but I just love it. it's like a great little horror opening here. It reminds me a lot of Event Horizon. Just appeared here out of nowhere, especially once you start realizing that the other Daedalus is still heading where it's supposed to, and the ship's just the whole what's going on. Um, and then you get the scorch marks on it up here and find she's been in a bit of a battle. What they should have done was to mirror the Daedalus so its command deck was on the opposite side. <laughs> they could have done that easily on the computer. Yep. You know, would you initially notice? Well, it's that whole one little aspect in the alternate timelines can change so much. Even if it was emitting IFF and looked a little bit different... Um, look more like the Prometheus or something <laughs> would have been interesting <laughs> yeah, as well. Yeah, I suppose budget does come into it at this at this point. Yeah, we've got a CGI model, we're going to use it. Don't get too creative. Well, plus the interior, they've got this little bottle episode here where they're just going to be walking around halls and on the bridge and that, so standing set, they can reuse easily. Yep. And they even keep the Daedalus plaque on the wall, which we see in a minute. They approach the ship, they get an energy reading, they remote activate the hangar bays, they see that there are no F-302s at all, uh, but there is a jumper. Hmm. Okay, then. <laughs> they park next to that one. I love here, and they do it in a few other episodes, too. You still get that Alien-esque score playing, that single piano note or whatever it is. There are some things in movies, in TV, and in music. They are the tropes, but they work for a reason. Yeah. But I do love here too how Rodney says the ship's running on emergency power and some systems are barely registering, yet they are able to get the bay doors open. And artificial gravity still working. Yeah, the jumper's actually in there. It's not floating around. Yeah, that. to be honest, I don't, I've never really understood how... I mean, we've seen some sci-fi series, they have, they have deck plating. The original Enterprise, not the original Enterprise, but Star Trek Enterprise, they had deck plating, which created, obviously, some sort of gravity simulating pull down. Other ships have some sort of singularity which provides a gravitational force right the ship. Simple basic ships have centrifugal... They spin. They spin, <laughs> exactly. How how the Asgard see, developed it and how the gold created it, we're not quite sure. No matter what, it must use a lot of energy. 
Magnets. Magnets, exactly. <laughs> Magnets. <laughs> Funnily enough, that's one thing I do like about the Expanse. When you yeah, go on board yeah. one of their ships, you put magnetic boots on. Mm-hmm. You just got to, once you learn how to walk properly, then you don't worry about it. It's like the Babelfish, just sticking your ear. Okay, two seconds, that's done. And then the viewers don't have to worry about it anymore. That's one of the great things about some of those old 80s and early 90s movies where magnetic boots are employed. <laughs> it's sort of, there's no need for the actors to act as if they're magnetic. They're just big, heavy boots that you know, they clop around in. and You know, the nitpicker going, hang on a minute, surely the ship is using composite materials. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell me we're still using the steel and iron. Yeah, not the best for space. We don't even use it now. No. <laughs> Before we go on, I do love here how the, um, as they come up to the ship, it's clearly pointed away from Atlantis and... Um, as Rodney says later, like the, the speed of the ship and trajectory will continue on through to you, the universe. So it's it's obviously started back near Atlantis, and here it is drifting further and further away. Yeah, the little thing that obviously pays off further on into the episode. Mm. They decide to split the team up, which is never a good idea <laughs> when you're in this situation. Yeah, haven't they watched horror movies? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> never. There's a lot of searching the ship in darkness here. You always stay together. Yeah. First off, any black guys here? Because they normally go first. Okay. Any virgins? Right. You'll live. Well, Rodney's got a lot of red on his Canadian arm patch there, so... That's true. That's something to worry about as well. <laughs> John and Taylor get to the bridge and discover that it is the Daedalus with the plaque there, and Rodney powers up the systems and scares John a bit, asking yeah. Rodney if that was you. <laughs> And Rodney jokes a lot about ghosts. Who do you think it was a ghost? And then, <laughs> comedically enough, Ronan knocks something over behind him and scares the crap out of Rodney. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to admit that Atlantis, maybe more so than SG-1, got the comedy and drama balance spot on. I think it's just the time. Like, it's... Where are we now? Nine, nine seasons of SG-1 and now five seasons of Atlantis. Just the writers being able to fall into that nook and get the best out of the actors and get some good writing in there. Yeah. I did like the plaque, though. Deep Space Defense Fast Attack Wing. Mm. That's a rather grandiose title. It's not something I'd consider the Daedalus to be. I'll go with it. I can't recall if that's on the, the original Daedalus plaque as well. I don't know if we've seen it in earlier episodes. I don't recall ever seeing it in that sort of detail before. Because that sort of suggests that maybe there's a whole... Well, we know by Season 5 you've got a fleet <laughs> anyway, but maybe more so that... Earth knows about it, like the general population knows, and there's actually a full space division. <laughs> it's not as if we've got half a dozen different classes of uh, spacecraft, though. Mm, yeah, true. It's like having just having a fleet of battleships without any cruisers mm. or frigates to actually form a proper fleet. Yeah, just a hell of a lot of 302s. One thing that was mentioned was the spelling of defence. Oh. The American way would normally use an S instead of a C. Whether or not that was deliberate or just a nod to the fact that this isn't our Daedalus. Or this isn't built by Americans, who knows? So this one had a C in it. Yeah, defense built with a C instead of an S. Maybe in the universe the, the Reds didn't win, or, <laughs> or did win. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Empire never set. Your Majesty, I introduce you to the Stargate program. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the Queen's speech. One has a Stargate. That could be a hell of a different world. <laughs> <laughs> it would be. Playing back the video log, Colonel Sabell, played by Tracy Waterhouse. Totally unknown colonel to Shepard, so there are some significant differences. It took me a long time to realise or to learn that that was a completely different person. I thought it was the normal weapons, not weapons officer, the helm controller we normally get. I used to hiccup a lot. No, no, that that was uh, Novak. Yeah, Novak. 
always thought it was her for the longest time. Just made her look a bit older because you know, she's oh, in right. command of a ship. But as we're going to see later, they, they didn't spend any money on the old age makeup. <laughs> no. Well, it's one of the things about, you know, alternate realities and the multiverse. If you allow for one, then you've got to allow for an infinite number. And if you've got an infinite number, then you can do anything you want. Mm, exactly. Even the, one of the main criticisms of the Star Trek Mirror Universe, there is so much similar, but there have been obviously so many things that have happened that you think, well, it can't happen like that. There's too many variables, but with an infinite number of universes, yes, it can happen. It must happen. Mm -hmm. Literally, colour of that bloke's underwear, that is the only difference between our universe <laughs> and theirs. It just means you can tell more stories. Yeah. Milk it. But I do love it. You know, I had to actually double-check when episode this was after the last man, especially when we get to the sun expanding in that as well. Yeah. Because she says here, like, they don't know what the, the weather's, weather's going to be like for the immediate future, but they're going to sit down anyway, taking the 302s down and abandon the ship. Originally, I was thinking, well, they've had the Ephosians staying on the mainland for a couple of years now. I'm pretty sure they'd know what the local weather's going to be like then, realising that, no, we're no, long, no longer on land here anymore. We've gone to this new planet. But even then, they've been on this planet for a season and a bit, which normally equals a year, apart from any sort of devastating environmental issues that happen from time to time, those once-in-a-year, once-in-a-lifetime sort of events. They should have a pretty good grasp on what temperature's going to be like and all that sort of thing. I assume that because they're watching the recording now, that means they abandoned the ship in a different reality. Yeah, but they're still around that planet. Yeah, but the planet could be totally different. I suppose we do get later, it's completely destroyed. Yeah, that's that's different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's destroyed twice. One's, one by swallowed up by the sun and two just asteroid fields, so... Yeah. You sort of look at it and you think, well, they've abandoned the ship before the ship's come here, but... The ship hasn't moved through space. It's only moved through alternate universe, though. It's always... They must have always booted the drive up in orbit above Atlantis and it's always been there. Which, again, is a bit worrying because we assume they did a lot of testing on this technology before they fitted it into a ship and before they activated it in orbit of a planet with a base on it. Mm. But then again, hell, we detonated uh, atomic bombs. Pretty sure it wouldn't destroy the world. Yeah. The percentage was in our favour. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It might vaporise oxygen in the air in the sky, but... <laughs> yeah, there'd be nobody around to complain. Yeah, how sure are you? I'm 100% sure. <laughs> are you 100% sure you are 100% sure? I'm only 90% no. sure I'm 100% sure. Data doesn't lie. We get a report that subspace communications, hyperdrive fuels are down, but there's an energy spike. And Atlantis notices as well as the ship begins to shudder and John calls for everyone back to the jumper. We get a flash of white <laughs> and yep. the shaking stop. No longer any Atlantis on the radio. So something strange has happened. Quick scan. They're pretty sure they haven't moved, apart from whatever sublight velocity they had anyway, the momentum. Hmm. They say there were energy spike on Deck 9. Yeah, Rodney's on the computer and says there's the energy reading's coming from a hold on Deck 9. Is that a Star Trek reference? I'm watching Voyager at the moment. I'm pretty sure there's 7 9's regeneration things on a hold on Deck 9. I'm not familiar enough with Voyager to actually say yes okay. or no to that <laughs> certainly not TOS I know that because yeah. just memory of all the ship based episodes we've had for Stargate I don't think they ever really call the decks out it's more of a place it's coming from engineering it's coming from the bridge coming from the hangar bay that sort of stuff I don't really recall oh the messes on deck 7 or the gyms on deck 2 <laughs> well basically in the original series the officers quarters roll on deck 5 mm. that's pretty much it <laughs> and then you've got Star Trek 5 where 
decks went up to about 80 or 90 and were numbered <laughs> randomly on in the turbo lift. Oh. And then we get a cartoon to explain it all. <laughs> <laughs> Dating the podcast. Right, we get to this old detecting energy signature that's similar to what the hyperspace engines develop. Well, yeah, Rodney recognises the same type of radiation and jumps to the conclusion that it's a parallel universe. Yeah, that's a It's the same thing. Yeah, it's well, he recognises the same radiation as when his alternate him come through in the previous <laughs> Rod. year. <laughs> Rod, love yeah. Rod. Yeah, Rod was a great bloke as long as you didn't have to stick around with him for more than two or three days. Mm. A great guy to visit at the weekend. <laughs> yep. Not for a whole week. No, and then Ronan looks over the console and says that um, he's probably right, and we see another team sleeping on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that it's them. Yeah. You know, they're not trying to be clever, they're not trying to be, oh, look, there's duplicates. No, it's just them lying on the floor, not moving. Hmm. Again, you could have done something different here to change up it and maybe not have Taylor or not have Ronan just because you didn't meet them or something. But I suppose where they come from, the universe is that close. They've brought a jumper up, done exactly the same that this team's doing now. That's just that the, probably the biggest issue of the episode is the fact they're all just lying here. This is where they died. Yes, you'd think that they may have been all sitting against a bulkhead, casually collapsed, whereas I suppose it could be worse. and They could have been in a compromising position or something. <laughs> Well, what would you do if your last five minutes of life? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're going to die anyway. Orgy time. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. probably take a space walk instead. But someone asks how long have they been dead, and Shepard sort of says, well, the ship's been like a meat locker. They could have been dead for months, which at least puts some old age makeup or some makeup on the show, a little bit of deterioration. <laughs> if you're in a fridge, you should be blue. Where they're not, they're just laying there. There's no evidence on the Daedalus that the temperatures have been sub-zero. So they've been chilled, but that's not enough to prevent decay in a dead body. No. So either they've, no. they've died fairly recently. You'd think maybe there'd be some information on the jumper, you know, some log of when that actually docked with the Daedalus. Yeah, John tells Taylor to look through the rest of the records before the, the jump, and then as soon as it happens, he calls everyone back where surely she could have discovered the previous recording. Or, But even then, if that team's up there and going to die, you'd think the first thing they'd do is try and set up some sort of transmission repeating transmission don't come aboard or failing that get on the um captain's log and <laughs> tell them if you're reading this get the hell off before the jump happens and nuke the ship from orbit <laughs> yeah uh, atmosphere i've got to assume that in a serious a dire emergency where say a naval ship had to be locked down there would be something you can do with the running lights to indicate to anybody who knows a code that do not approach hmm We've seen them set up Morse code to landing lights and that before, just to try and get a message across. At the very least. I suppose even the jumper, they, they could have used the jumper to destroy the ship. And we learned that they couldn't figure out how to stop the drive. At worst, you're going to be stuck in an alternate reality. You've got the jumper, so you can get back to Atlantis as long as you find one. But then you have the whole issue with two bodies occupying the same universe and and all that sort of thing. Cascade failure <laughs> and, all, and all that. So you'd be better off stopping where in one that Atlantis is destroyed and just try and meet up with the Ephosians or they'll maybe have a second go at meeting the Janai and getting in there and not um Yeah not being public enemy number one. We'll never know the story of these people, unfortunately. No. Even Spread Man, have Shepard dead in the captain's chair. Have Rodney slumped over at the console in engineering there, just up to their dying breath or dying Yeah. Well, I assume they ran out of oxygen, because if you starve, you're not going to be just sitting there. <laughs> you're going to be hunched up or... They look remarkably healthy dead bodies. Yeah, they just fell asleep. 
Well, that's it. They could have had even evidence in the log that the ship was purged with carbon dioxide or a, a flame retardant or something like that. You know, mm. halon or something. That's how they died. It was relatively quick and painless. Then again, if they if they know they're going to go, then you'd think they'd stop the ship, take the ship out with them, self-destruct or something. Because at the end, they, when they they can't stop the drive, Ronan suggests blowing it up, and no, we can't do that. It's going to tear a hole in the space-time continuum. But well, at least you're going to stop this from happening again. And at the end, very end of the episode, it's just waved off as sort of funny. Oh, it's only got a couple more jumps left in it, but we'll get there. <laughs> Ultimately, it's Rodney, isn't it? They were us, and they failed. Yeah, well, here he's got the tablet off the second Rodney, which is just laying there and charged with battery, so it can't be that long. <laughs> <laughs> they were us, and they failed, which probably is a big thing here, where normally the team comes through on the end, and here they couldn't. Yeah, but of course, our Rodney is... Obviously, he knows he's superior to every other Rodney. <laughs> well, that's what he says later. He was a genius, just like me. Yeah. <laughs> right, we go to the hold. We see a very impressive door, seal, hatchway. That is Vavo. <laughs> yeah, it's a very intricate locking system. I know. I've got to, got to assume that that's a little bit of CGI, because I can't imagine they'd go to the trouble of actually fabricating that. Oh, yeah, you can see the, like, even on the bad copy you're watching, you can see sort of the texture and just the way the lights come on. But it's nowhere near as bad as what we see beyond the door. Yeah, and of course, the first thing they do is open it. And you think, why would you do that? There's a big radiation risk sticker on it. Yeah, surely there are monitors and, you know, sensors that can tell you exactly what's going on behind that door without actually opening it to have a look. Well, even after it's opened and later it's closed again and Rodney says, up oh, radiation, and <laughs> that's why it's closed. On every screen behind them, in every shot after this, you can see the drive on there doing its little spinny thing in a three-dimensional form, like a view, like a schematic of it. Yeah. But yeah, here or it is. As if they say, we've got to see the device, we've got to see it, so we're not yeah, going to worry we'll about the money radiation. On the CG. Yeah. We get to a storage compartment. I do, I do like the fact that this looks like a navy ship gets loaded up with supplies, crate after crate after crate of rations, spare parts, do not ring transport stenciled on them. <laughs> nice touch. Yeah. Although, Which... if you can ring transport a human being, what could you possibly not ring transport? Yeah, is it just the fact the box is a little bit too big for the ring transporters? You'd you'd think it'd make them. Like, even now, you're standard, like, shipping pallets a metre square, or three yeah. feet square, so that's definitely going to fit inside a ring transporter. But but not only that, like, they've got Asgard, the beam, beaming technology is that as well, so... Yeah, if you think about it, you could build an exact duplicate of Daedalus hold, fill that up on the ground level, then Asgard beam could lift the whole thing up and straight into the bay. Yeah. Job done. Yeah, five seconds for resupply. Yeah. Invoice is perfect, everything's where it should be. But then it's even like having the rings. Like, why would you have the rings when you've got the Asgard beams? Yes, it's a secondary system and a fail state, but it's just like having having a landline when you've got your mobile phone. <laughs> I've got my mobile phone now. I don't need a landline anymore. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can just imagine somebody walking to the dealers and thinking, oh, I can't be bothered to walk up them steps. Ring transporter, please. Oh, it'd, be, it'd be like jumper just to have... <laughs> the, the Admiral refuses to walk up the gangplank. He wants to be beamed aboard. The captain's beaming from the bridge to the mast <laughs> in the back. <laughs> yeah. That's just Homer Simpson level lazy. Yeah. Right, we get Taylor trying to be a little deep, referencing the fact that did this Taylor have anybody that she left behind? Obviously, we're thinking of Torin. Ronan, he's flat out practical. You know, we live in a universe, a multi-view universe, then yes, there would have been infinite number of Torans and an infinite number of no Torans. 
Mm. Don't worry about it. Don't even think about yeah. it. There could be a million of them out there, and it's this is sort of the first of. Although we had Taylor with the um, ship's log before, but again, the continuing of all well, these characters have been learning a little bit more about things other than their norm off screen. Where before it was ship, sort of Taylor being learnt aspects of the ship, and here it's sort of Rowan's been listening to McKay too much about alternate realities realities, and yeah, and he's actually picked some of it up. Yeah, enough to know what not to worry about. Yeah, like a million torrents. You're really going to worry about them all? And, no, she says, I'm hard enough looking after one. <laughs> all right, we jump back to the hold. Why is this blast door closed? And then, hello, <laughs> residual radiation? <laughs> yeah, but he recognises... Yeah, which goes back to the fact that why did they open it, open it in the first place? Pure cur- yeah. curiosity. It's a McKay uh, failing. Mm-hmm. And also makes you wonder if that door was keeping the radiation in. How much did they release when they opened the door? You think most radiation just would go through the deck anyway? But... Yeah, chances are it's pretty exotic. Mm. I recorded an episode of Trinity the other day. You'd, oh yeah. You yep. think after that they'd be worried about radiation that was unfamiliar with, mm. and devices that generate it. Well, they didn't learn too much because they took all that tech back to Atlantis, and that's why we got Rod turned off because they're doing <laughs> all that in base. Yep, as McKay says, he is a genius. These people were working on uh, basically a capacitor to store the energy. That's why uh, it, it builds up over time and then triggers the device. Mm. Hasn't got a call as kind of a, a bleeder valve. You know, when the capacitor reaches 100% capacity, it, it actually discharges. You can't bleed it off gradually. John points out that's a bad design flaw. Yeah, which yeah, it just comes after how much Rodney recognises handiwork and <laughs> how he sort of talks himself up to be a genius, well, no, this this has got a pretty big flaw to it, and it all comes down to the power generation for it. Rodney says it'd take a good ZPM-level power to run this thing. But then, like he says, they've got that capacitor, which is drawing from subspace until it gets to the 100% and releasing. That's pretty much what a ZPM does. It just holds that charge. It doesn't release it. Could have to have something to do with that rod episode where they're trying to draw power from subspace, yet they're getting all the... um the foreign elements come through. Yeah. It's not five NACA generators tied together, so <laughs> we've moved on from that a little bit. Yeah, but that's just liable to work. Mm. And you really do want total control over the system. It makes you wonder they were that desperate to get it to work. What was the impetus behind it? Not only that, why why build it in the first place? Yes, if you're going to do something small-scale like they did in land to generate power, that's one thing, but this is to have a ship that can travel to ultimate universes i don't because we're, as i said before you got the whole cascade failure thing if they pop up in atlantis next to another daedalus what's are they both going to start bloating or <laughs> yeah it's the universe will fall they can write anything they want basically yeah because again it's sort of like it's a universe jumper it's not it's not traveling anywhere spatially or timely i read a star trek book way back when in one of the one of the early star trek books a paper paperback a paper book yeah a paper, a paper book. A paper book not 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 in the <laughs> 70s and i probably picked it up in the early 90s it was kirk's first mission as captain of the enterprise and he met this alien species and they basically you know they acted very simple almost childlike he saw their spaceship and it was drifting towards klingon space and he was trying to say you got you got to move your spaceship you got to move your spaceship and they kept saying no we don't we don't move our spaceship doesn't move well, what happens then? He says, oh, uh, we move the universe. Huh. You know, and that is actually what, what their technology did. Their ship didn't have any thrusters or anything. They just tweaked space-time, very structure of the universe, and moved everything around them. They always stood still. The very young do not always do as they're told. 
That is pretty much exactly what they said in that book as well. Oh. <laughs> they basically said, you are but young. So it wasn't original. <laughs> Nothing's one. original. No. Even Star Trek nicked off other people. <laughs> anyway, they've made this jump back on the bridge. Atlantis is back. Is it Major Marks? Where's Major Mark? Why did I write my... Got planets on it. Um, Taylor's been training systems last time Daedalus was in orbit, but Roan was too busy. <laughs> that's right. That's why I wrote Major Marks. Yeah, he was t- showing Taylor. I wrote Major Marks, Taylor, Ronan busy. <laughs> Abbreviated. It's been a week since I've watched this episode, so I'm trying to remember my own notes now. <laughs> uh... Yeah, so Ronan's actually picking stuff up from hanging around Rodney, but when he actually gets a, a rundown of ship systems from Marks, he, no, I'm not that bothered about this. Well, and it's, it's odd, too, because going back to First Strike, where they're under bombardment from the shield, Ronan comments, I wish I could be more useful in these situations, and Shepard sort of tells him, you're you're here to fight and run and gun for us, let the eggheads do their thing. You'd think after that he would have he would have been more, and that's probably where he's more active in following Rodney and listening to what Rodney says, but not going full bore at it. Yeah, perhaps he's just one of those people that can pick things up when it's delivered in a very casual manner rather than having a lecture. Yeah. Well, you just imagine when Rodney opens up with his techno babble, just <laughs> eyes roll. <laughs> yeah, eventually Rodney would recognise the expression and then dumb it down. Mm. Or Zelenka would be there and translate. Well, that's it. It's probably more from just them two going back and forth and Ronan's picking up on what's being said and remembering some things that seem important. But we've got a nice big pointy ship in orbit, which is powering weapons that we haven't seen before. Yes, we do. Interesting emblem on its hull as well. Mm. Firing on Atlantis. And Rodney wants to leave it be and not poke the ant nest, and, but John has a hunch that helping out Atlantis is the right thing to do. Yep. I mean, there's even money that these people are evil, and it's the you know, good guys in the big pointy ship are the ones that you should be cheering for. Obviously, they call it right at this point, although mm. a bit worrying that the Asgard beams don't seem to do that much damage. No, not at all. <laughs> no, they, they annoy the ship. So much so yeah. they send the fleet of fighters after the Daedalus. And we just see yeah. how weak the targeting systems of the railguns are. They're not really a point defence weapon. No, but you probably do need someone on that can actually use them to effect as well. <laughs> I guess just a, just a matter of just putting waves of ammunition downrange and hope something hits. Yeah. Good props to the effects department here for the Sparks. <laughs> You can see Roan and John are like ducking down trying to get underneath the consoles because the sparks are landing on them. Well, that's it. They never hesitated to put little pyrotechnics on the overhead gantries. Yeah. Yep, and the ship's getting butt-handed to it. Yep. And then Rodney has an idea. Yep, they do actually manage to hit one of the fighters. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. it just annoys it. So much so it does a 180 and dive bombs the ship. Yep, and they get a couple impact. We've got hull breaches. The Daedalus really does rely on its shields. She's not built like a battle wagon with, you know, huge amounts of armour. Mm. Yeah, we haven't got to the point yet where there's an Asgard beam on every corner. <laughs> Rodney comes up with an idea. He can get them to jump a little earlier. Drawback is that the actual capacitor will be charging quicker and subsequent jumps will also be quicker. But and they're cutting the brakes. <laughs> at this point, though, they really do have to get out of there. Yeah. It jumps. Into an even worse situation. <laughs> yes, about two million kilometres off the surface of a red giant. Yep, and it's getting pretty hot in here. No shields. And I love how they sort of add the heat distortion to the camera here yes. as well. It's a great little touch just to show the heat. 
as you said earlier, this is in line with the prospects of this star. John seen it, and when he jumped forward in time. Have a quick here. Yeah, stellar dynamics there. Uh, can't even begin to explain it at this point. But we do know <laughs> that there are variable stars out there that, for no reason whatsoever, brighten in orders of magnitude and then die down again. Yeah. Maybe something artificial accelerated the uh, decay of the star. Maybe in this universe, time runs slightly differently. Mm. Either way, they've got to get out of there because the hull is under severe stress. Yeah, the old, the age old, the hull's deteriorating. <laughs> yeah, bit by bit. Yeah, I love how it always deteriorates and never, and then miraculously just comes back once the danger's gone. If it adds some, maybe some sort of ablative armor, you know, that could peel away layer after layer, reflect that on the CGI model. But that's money again. And mm. Stargate, be it SG One or Atlantis, were pushing CGI as far as they could go already. Yeah. Plus, it's only a 42-minute episode, so it's sort of yeah. adding more <laughs> adding more to the runtime. But Rodney, once again, has the brilliant idea to shut everything down and get more power for the shields. Ronan hears a whoosh and goes to investigate. Yeah, it doesn't mention anything, just goes wandering about. Yeah. Walks up to a sealed doorway, click, click, click. The door comes open, and there's the biggest alien standing there. Tall and Ronan himself. Yeah, with some funky built-in light, so... Is it an enhanced humanoid? Is it a cyborg? Whatever. It's strong. It's fast. It's pissed. <laughs> and there's been there's been countless discussions on this race. Who are they? What are they? I love how it's sort of it's almost like Predator where here you got this big sort of soldier, but then the ship's so sleek and clean, and it's like the technology doesn't match the race. Whether these guys are just an army, and then they've got some brains in a jar or something in the ship. <laughs> <laughs> working out all the scientific stuff. but Yeah, you don't. There could be a subclass, a warrior subclass. Mm. I remember some discussion, perhaps this was a different evolution of the Wraith, maybe not so much the Aratus bug and the organic, more of a technological, maybe if they'd done something with the ancients or something. But... Or the replicators, the Asaurans, yeah. who knows. But it's a it's a good fight. Ronan doesn't last very long, he's on the ground and sort of does the only thing you do, get attention and start shooting the bulkhead with his gun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's... A hard lesson to learn. Let somebody know when you go and go walk about. Especially when there's only four of you there. Yeah. Say, oh, what's that? I'll go and check it out. And Joe go, right, okay. Taylor, go with him. Mm-hmm. Because, because at the moment, you know, they really can't do a lot because the driver's at 98%, kind of stalling there. So, uh, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll drop what shields we have. It'll only be a few seconds. We'll be fine. Yeah, I love that. They they shut down every system they can. And then Rodney decides, we'll shut down the shields. We'll get that little bit of extra power into the drive and then no it stops at 98 percent yeah and he's there come on come on 99 come on anyone that works and looks at the clock at the end of a long day and just watches that second hand tick <laughs> <laughs> but then it jumps the distractions enough the intruders long enough for ron and john to take a shot at them and yeah. i love here how um john sort of recognizes the symbol and the vest is the same on the alien ship and ron fires the sidearm <laughs> and <laughs> makes a nice little green flash and John's all eyes light up and go, Give me, let me have a go at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I may not be able to get one of your guns, but I'll, I'll hang on to this one. Yeah, it has a similar sound, but uh, no, they're interrupted by the intruders and drop the gun and, yeah, we get the jump and they take them out. Right, we jump into in an asteroid field. A huge debris field, obviously, well, maybe not obviously, accretion disk maybe, uh, the solar system, the, either the planet's broken up or it never formed. Not really knowing astrophysics, if that red giant had gone over, it would have started a black hole, wouldn't it? So A red giant 
it would have it would have totally incinerated half the solar system. Yeah, either way, the planet would have been destroyed. There wouldn't have been any asteroid belt there. There'd be nothing there. So obviously, the sun is still there. Maybe something changed on the evolution of this solar system. So no planetary body formed in that part. Well, we've seen the team do the same thing to the Australian homeworld. The replicators yeah, turned into a. Maybe they fought back. <laughs> we're not going to hit you with a beam. We're just going to completely destroy your planet. At this point, that Rodney comes up with his brilliant idea. <laughs> They're going to reverse course, and John points out that isn't that something he said earlier on? Well, yes, but Rodney's actually planned it out and physics to back it up. Well, he says he digs a knife a little bit more and goes, naturally, I dismissed the idea because yeah, <laughs> it wasn't a smart thing to do, but then realising the other Rodney, being the other Rodney, has been trying to think on the same thing. This Rodney had to sort of take a dumber look. It's almost back to the O'Neill or the Carter. You, you, yeah. You're just not smart enough. And he also realises that they've only got a limited number of jumps left. Mm, it's tax on the drive. Yeah. So one thing they do know, going forward, they've got no idea if they're going on a circular path. Mm. Only that at some point they've passed by the planet and Atlantis. No guarantee they're going to do it again. Well, and I don't think it's really said, but... I don't think they're going down the phone book from A to Z of universes. I think it's just the navigation systems jumping from one to the other. It's sort of random. There's no pattern to it. The chances of them coming back to their own universes slim to none. Ultimately, there'd be no way to be 100% sure where you were always in the right one. Exactly. Hence pond fish. Yeah. Oh, look, it's raining again. (laughs) No donuts. Well, yeah, the pond fish thing's a perfect example of that. Yeah, I just remembered yeah. that. <laughs> Everything else looks perfect, but okay, mm. there's fish in the pond. Can live with that. Yep. Don't worry about it too much. Half the audience probably didn't even catch on what they, what they were implying by that. Close enough. Yeah. <laughs> but it's time to go in reverse. Yep. McKay's mucking about with the crystals. He's working on a bypass. They short out. I pale offers to help, but Rodney's, uh, Rodney's sort of, it's okay, I'll do it, then we get short out. And she manages to turn the systems off and save him as he's getting electrocuted. <laughs> and again, just showing that Taylor must have spent a lot of time up here knowing, getting taught all these systems. Well, she's just the sort of character who'd want to learn. Yeah. Knowledge for knowledge's sake. As a leader of a people, you never know when something's going to come in useful. Mm. I've got a note that says separate diagnosis. Separate diagnosis. I'm pretty sure that's something that Taylor were doing. Yeah, I, I blank out when Taylor's doing a emotional thing. I, my next thing's back to the alien space battle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, while McKay's working on the crystals, there's a huge power surge. As you say, there's parks, the explosions. And it's Taylor that actually calms everything down because she's been learning. Puts Rodney in his place for a moment because he's just sort of dismissing her as the warrior or let me do the, the smart stuff and you just sit there and kick ass and... Yeah, here Taylor's actually doing something and Rodney's sort of taken back about it. Yeah, especially the fact that she's been off the team for a while. Yeah. Probably been put in a time not only with uh, Torin, but maybe doing some of the more mundane reading reports, looking at procedures and whatnot. Either way, she makes McKay feel a bit silly. You see, he does tend to have an opinion of people that's less than positive, even when Mm. he likes them. Yeah, well, he even brings up here too that's the first mission back. Yeah. After having the child, so... The ship jumps. They return to huh, a load of aliens flying after him. Yeah, Rodney managed to get the sublight back on for the briefest of times. They can run away even further. Yeah. Uh, we get a nice graphic there of the fighters catching up on the Daedalus. No other ships on the scopes. It's a very nice 2D display. Yeah. 
I was going to bring this up earlier, where you got the picture of the planet with the Daedalus in orbit. Yes, it's a nice graphic, so the audience knows what's actually happening, but I don't understand how that technology... It's not radar. It's like there's a camera at the moon looking, or something, <laughs> some sort of something looking. You'd think that um, you'd have some... Well, you've got the range lines behind the ship as it's moving away, but and the ship's there as an identifier of where you are, but it's just very, very TV, <laughs> very movie... We're going to show you what's happening here. But they're catching. Sublight's not fast enough, so it's not sub <laughs> sub point nine or whatever the Trekkies call it. Uh, again, I wrote Evolution. Why did I write Evolution? As in the movie or the episode? No, no, as in the episode. Ah, yeah. We see that the, the large alien ship is in pursuit. We get a close-up of a launch bay. Basically just a single portal where the ships come out one after the other. I wonder if mm. it's some sort of evolution to the carrier design. Instead of having a huge flight bay, you literally have the ships, like jumpers, you know, like the uh, the gate ship. Called, it was the gate ship, wasn't it? Or was it the needle or something? You were called threading the needle, oh, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, just big enough I... to come out of a very small portal that's maximum, you know, defendable, but come out very fast. Fum, 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 fum. Automated launching. Yeah, it's almost like launching the Vipers, but I suppose that's over several... They've got their own bay as well, haven't they? Yeah. Mm. Imagine the Vipers all coming through one launch tube, lined up like missiles on a ratchet system. We're going to get to fight uh, like an automatic weapon, really, but with spaceships. Oh, I suppose it wouldn't really work because of your proximity to a planet and another gate, but imagine just having like a gate mounted on the side of the ship. You've got a million fighter craft sitting in a hangar on Earth with a gate there, and it's like, <laughs> everyone go, go, go. All of a sudden, you've got a thousand fighters on location in seconds. Yeah. But you'd want to make sure that was an outgoing wormhole, not incoming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be a bit dangerous if it were the other way around. Yeah, well, there goes them fighters, but sublight doesn't last long and starts sparking. Fighters are getting there and sparks are flying. Ronan's not happy off the control panel. Oh, and we, yeah. <laughs> uh, we get the easy, chewy line from John. I wonder at this point if Ronan's seen Star Wars. Mm. I know him and Phil kind of, you know, became maybe not friends, but associates well yeah you'd think it'd be on midway but it was only like it was 101 demotions and something else <laughs> it's out of music or something <laughs> no it wasn't it was um larry curly and murray free stooges because they're sitting there watching it when the alarms go off <laughs> almost thankful for, for the opportunity to uh, risk your life <laughs> yeah i never really talked to the three stooges hmm. marx brothers yeah yep it's like the the ship's in serious trouble it loses its oblique engines for some reason it slows down yeah. Happen in space. <laughs> Look, I'm not going to complain because they did exactly the same thing in The Last Jedi. Yeah. In fact, not only did the ship slow down, they lost attitude control. And you just mm. think, what the hell's going on? <laughs> you think, we're running out of fuel. It doesn't matter. Mm. Use your fuel for life support. You don't need thrust. <laughs> they're not catching you. But anyway, these ships are catching us. And now they've caught up. It looks like they're in trouble until a fleet of F-302s appear from nowhere. The opposite direction. <laughs> the ship was already moving away from Atlantis at sublight, and there was nothing on the scope. Fortunately, Lieutenant Colonel John Shepard is here to rescue them. And rescue his ego. Oh, dear me. Look, this is a fantastic sequence. Some of the, the camera shots as they follow the F-302s, as they mm. fly after these ships, using guns and missiles. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And they take them all out. Yep, every single one. Even I was getting fed up with John ass-kissing himself. Yeah, it goes on for a good two, two and a half minutes. I know. And that's... 
You think, no, seriously, come on. You could imagine Rodney doing this sort of thing. We know Rodney do this sort of thing. Especially the last, like, once they throw the drive in reverse, there's 10 minutes left of the episode left, and there's so much they've got to tackle. <laughs> and then to do this, and to be so cryptic about it as well. Like, we know now from the um, Atlantis that they saved earlier that their Daedalus disappeared months ago and sort of after answers, and he's just like, well, this isn't ours either. We're just borrowing it. Well, okay, you are talking to yourself, and yourself might... Well, he doesn't, because he says, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> We'll leave it there, shall we? Because nothing, yeah. nothing else needs to be said on that gun. <laughs> yep. We're in the uh, hangar. McKay gets shot. <laughs> yeah. They've got one planet to go, so they need to get back to the hangar bay. And I love how he gets shot and he's just sitting there yelling at his arm. <laughs> I know. <laughs> For a few seconds, like, oh, I've been shot. <laughs> it's not... I mean, he was screaming more when he got hit by the arrow. Yeah. And especially this weapon seems to be sort of like a plasma, much like a staff weapon. You can see that he's burnt shoulder where it's burnt a hole and gone through the skin, and the fact that his arm's on fire <laughs> for most of it as well. I would have imagined that this would have taken your arm off. Well, yeah, it's lucky it's obviously grazed and not a direct yes. hit. <laughs> nice big fight. Everything seems to be going well until that looks like a grenade. Yeah, that, we better run. That is a grenade. <laughs> Huge explosion, hull breach, The jump, both of the jumpers get vented. Now they're in trouble. Yep. Meanwhile, back on Atlantis, uh, the ship has appeared on sensors. Too far away to get accurate reading on the IFF. Not too far away to catch up with a jumper, though. Yeah, well, they can't communicate with it either, so... Major Lawn, let's take a jumper and get up there. Which is sort of odd that they only take one. You'd think they'd take a couple up. Just in case, you know, it could be hostile. Or it could be a ship in distress and need to be abandoned. You're only going to fit nine people. Only a few hours have passed, so it's reasonable to assume the Daedalus is back, or that the other Daedalus is back, and mm. our team are up there, so let's go get them. Ronan sort of suggests here that we should blow the drive so no one else gets stuck up there, and Ronnie's done the whole, well, now it can destroy the space-time continuum, which, this isn't time travel, so I don't know how. It might rip a hole in the universe. I don't know what the space-time continuum's got to do with this at all. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose at this point, it sounds good. Ronan isn't mm. going to argue the fact. Nobody is just... If it's going to explode, let's make sure it explodes a long, long, long way away from us. In fact, in a different reality. But it's like before, too, where, okay, the, the jumpers are gone, they've got no way of getting off the ship. And they're sort of looking at that, well, let's let's try and take the ship out so no one else gets stuck in this situation. You'd think that'd be the same as what the previous team went through as well. Yeah. Instead of just lying down. <laughs> the jumper doesn't get there in time and the ship jumps away. Yeah, so what's happened now? Well, Radic... It's only been a couple of hours, fine, but as they approach with the jumper, Radic sort of says, oh, I'm, I'm detecting an en- some type of energy reading. <laughs> you've had you've had a couple of hours, you haven't done any analysis on the first time it happened and realised it's the same radiation or read anything else, it's just it's some kind of energy reading again. Maybe the jumper's sensors aren't as powerful as Atlantis, but... You would add a baseline at this point. They do detect four little space-suited figures. <laughs> Pretty hard to get a cab round here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, yep, yeah, uh, no problem. Daedalus had spacesuits on board. We know it does. Takes a while to get them in. We've seen John get into a spacesuit in about 10 seconds. Normally yep. takes NASA astronaut a couple of hours to do it because they're, mm-hmm. they're not easy. No, and I don't think you can do yourself up from the outside because you, you haven't got the, the dexterity. No, you need a support staff. Yep. <laughs> Either way, they get picked up safe and sound. Maybe it's back to the whole beaming thing. Maybe you just stand beside and there's a little beam that beams you into it. It's a pity, you know, because the Asgard, their spacesuits are so perfect. Yeah. You press a button, it opens up, and you just step inside. <laughs> Job done. 
Yeah. Seals itself up and you're off. You're in powered armour. Mm. But now we get this book, Andy. Yeah, we're back in sick bay. McKay is in one of the hospital beds, totally milking it for all it's worth. <laughs> sort of explain there's only probably about 12 or so more jumps left in the drive. It's sort of a shame here too, because if within those 12 jumps, it gets back to the world that that first team went and they send up a jumper to try and find out why their team disappeared. <laughs> and all of a sudden they're stuck on the ship. And so they, they sort of laugh it off that there's, oh, there's only there's only 12 or so jumps left before it taxes out and the whole thing will be inert. But it's still going to one leave the Daedalus there intact for maybe undesirables to get it. Yeah, and and what's to say someone's not going to see that technology and go, oh, well, I'll just take this crystal out and put this new power source in and oh, it's working again. Yeah, it was very throwaway because the writers had finished the episode off. It's almost a pity that, you know, McKay said, look, when the drive finally fails, the power will have nowhere to go and it'll just vaporise the ship. Yeah, just say it's going to cause a feedback or something. A feedback loop. Final time it jumps, it won't come back. Yeah. There will be nothing left of it. It will never reappear again. It'll be, you know, ripped apart into its component atoms, electrons, particles, whatever, and it'll just disappear from every universe. Hmm. Or even just say that after that, don't say 12 or so jumps here, say after that final battle with the fighters... It was very lucky to get that last jump in. It's probably probably didn't even make the second jump now. Instead of having John talk to himself for two and a half minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost a pity they couldn't, you know, they couldn't say that, you know, the uh, energy source drive itself a total scrap. But hey, we've got an F three hundred three. Just needs a bit mm. of refurbishment. <laughs> when they yeah, get up there and when they even get a second jumper out of it, but no, they lost they lost their own as well. <laughs> <laughs> it must be around there somewhere. No, it'd be in the it'd be in the one before. No, the one with no Atlantis. But you could even have it, have the little stop there just in orbit as a moon a space station. Yeah, yeah. Or at least draw the attention of the next Wraith cruiser that pops by. Yep. Well, that was easy. <laughs> Destroyed. <laughs> Soccer's got you now. Mm. Yeah, so uh, Taylor comes to visit. She's brought Torin, and she offers McKay the opportunity to hold him. <laughs> it seems a bit awkward, and boy, does he hold it awkwardly as well. Yeah, yeah, don't drop him. 30 seconds or so, then, yeah, come take him back, please. John says something here that I missed about him carrying carrying a disease or something, and that's when he sort of just holds him out further further away from him and Taylor takes him back. It might not have been. It might have been something else. Could have been anything. They, they could even have gone for the old, oh, uh, he's pooped his diapers. <laughs> that would have been funny. Like, what's that smell? Because <laughs> that could work, because the look on McKay's face, and John yeah. walks away. So perhaps that was it. Yeah. He's not my kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, hang as they watch out, they wiggle. Yeah, he knows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that was the Daedalus Variations. Pretty fun episode of Atlantis. They did a lot. Yeah, it was a bottle show. Only one significant guest actor, and that was the Colonel. And the rest of it was just redressing existing sets, changing the lighting to make it look different. My guess is that apart from the CGI from the new spaceship... Everything else was reused. Yeah, or even the 302 dogfight. You just remove the darts or remove the death gliders and put this new ship in. You don't... The couple of times you really see the new fighters is when they're not being chased, sort of when the camera's on that ship or on that fighter without 302 behind it, so... Yeah, and and they they were pretty simplistic. Mm. They didn't really go to town, and the in-house effects department were probably able to knock that off fairly cheaply, cheaply being the relative term. (laughs) Yeah, like the Ori fighters, you probably 
you could probably see a lot more detail and get a lot to know or know a lot more about them from concept art and that and not from the episodes themselves concept art that looks fantastic but we can't afford it yeah yeah <laughs> yeah we're gonna have a bit of a motion blur on this just to hide some of that detail yeah. <laughs> it's uh, flying fast through space after all so yeah no i just love how it sort of it opens with the whole sort of horror and mystery and then um i just really love these sort of techie episodes where um you got something like this device it's almost going back to like the tale of rodney where he's got this technology here he knows he built it but he doesn't know how <laughs> yeah but he says at the end there too in the bed that he downloaded all the schematics and data from the drive onto his tablet and thinks he can do a proper job at it so john sort of tells him i don't think that's a good idea and again i'll have to come why maybe unless you're sort of looking for resources in another another universe i just don't understand why you'd need a drive like that you're pretty much asking for trouble yeah unless you have totally pacified your galaxy your universe why go to another one Mm. well there's always that there's always a bigger bad guy out there (laughs) yes there is and you, you jump to another reality you could end up fighting yourself like you can imagine if imagine if one of them fighters followed him back through the jump and all of a sudden it's in our universe and can notify the rest of its kind if they're <laughs> even existing there. All of a sudden, well, one all of a sudden would probably just destroy or overcome the Wraith pretty quickly in a couple of episodes and then we'd have this big bad to worry about. Yeah, one of their carriers was bad enough. Yeah. The Auride can cause their body enough trouble. Yeah. We had season six, so it might have come. There might yeah. have been something coming out of it. Yeah, I think I, I said that too many times. In fact, when I recorded with Alan, he told me off because I kept saying, if only there'd been a season three of uh, Universe. <laughs> Just told me to stop saying it. <laughs> Elizabeth says when she comes back in Ghost in the Machine that there's a lot more technical races out there than you know. So just dropping those little hints that we can do a heap of different story ideas if we go into season six. You only got to look at the fact that we were operating in the Milky Way. We are operating in Pegasus. The Asgard operate at uh, Ida. So we've only even just dipped our little toes into the, the number of galaxies in this universe. Yeah, and look at the trouble it's caused. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, there's the whole the Aura galaxy as well. We've sort of got a little bit of a foothold in it, but only when we went there in the last continuum. Not continuum, no, Arc of Truth. Yeah. Yeah, you really got to settle yourself down, have a strong base to work from before you go out to exploring. Create a federation. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> a thousand worlds all, all joined together, you know, and the Starfleet and whatnot. Rules of engagement and all sorts before you go looking for new people to fight with or make yeah. friends with, hopefully. <laughs> Mostly to fight with tends to be that sort of dynamic that the TV companies actually look for. Can't make a show where everybody's friends, surely not. No, there needs to be conflict. Yeah, there's got to be conflict. Right then, folks, that was the Daedalus Variations. Brad, always been a pleasure to chat with you. Nah, thanks for that, Mike. It's great. I've missed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're welcome to come back on again. Just let us know. Give us an episode and we'll sort the time out. Oh, lovely. Right, you want to give us your details for your podcast? Been nearly a year. <laughs> we've, we've finished looking at the Lost World Jurassic Park one minute in time and now I've moved on to Jurassic Park 3. We've uh, rebranded into JurassicMinutes.wordpress.com or uh, Jurassic Minutes on Facebook and Twitter. Jump over there, have a look. Excellent. Having fun? Yeah, for the most part. For the most part. Busy. <laughs> oh, busy, busy with a job change. Editing times have sort of reduced a bit, so it's a busy week editing that and the Transformers show. So yep. hopefully mid-next year I'll be done with the Minutes by Minutes and have a little bit more free time on my hands. That's a plan. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is a plan. We'll, we'll see what happens when we get yeah. there. 
Right then, folks, if you want to come on the podcast and talk about Stargate, would love to have you on. Feel free to get in touch, stargatearchives.com, stargatearchives at gmail.com. We are on Facebook, Tumblr and Google+, and on Twitter, at TheGateCast. Just drop us a line, pick an episode, and we'll arrange a time when we can chat for an hour or so over Skype. Pretty easy, as you hopefully have listened, the number of guests I've had recently... It's very easy to talk about Stargate for an hour. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Pick an episode you love, one you go back to all the time, and come on and talk about it. Okay then, Brad. Thank you very much for joining me. I'm sure we will chat again. We will, Mark. Thank you. Excellent. Everybody else, this goes out before Christmas. Probably won't. <laughs> Happy New Year. And I've been Mike. And I've been Brad. Take care. Bye-bye. Goodbye.